This podcast is produced on the land of the Wujak Noongar people, and we want to pay our respect to the elders past, present and emerging. Courtney, welcome back to the studio. Hello, in person, which is always yeah. very exciting. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we've got a uh, really fascinating and I think important guest on today um, to discuss the primarily the issue of the voice to mm-hmm. Parliament. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Professor Dawn Bessarab. Uh, who's from the medical school now, but is a social worker by um, training and, and experience, um, but now, you know, is quite a, an accomplished health researcher um, mm. from the Aboriginal community. Um, yeah, and I've um, I've heard of uh, Dawn previously because, yeah, she kind of has lots of fingers and lots of different pies in terms of Indigenous research. Um, yep. So I, I've heard her name in the, the cardiovascular group at the School of Population Global Health as yeah. well. Um yeah, so she should be a really fascinating person to have on. Yeah, no, I think so. And this is an issue that we sort of flagged in previous episodes that people are wanting more information on and mm. they want to hear a bit more about. Oh, we've got to talk about yeah, it, right? <laughs> yeah, the Aboriginal perspective on, on the voice to Parliament and, and that yep. sort of thing. Um, so I think it's just, it was great that Dawn was happy to put her hand up and come on because I know it's something that's been difficult for a lot of Aboriginal people to, to talk about. Definitely. Um, you know, there's a lot of emotion in the debate and, you know, both yes and no campaigns, you know, there's Aboriginal people on both sides, mm-hmm. um, just as there are white people on both sides as we kind of get to in, the, yep. in our chat. Um, but, yeah, a couple of things I wanted to point out. First of all, Emma Haynes, um, Dr Emma Haynes, who is a colleague of ours at the school, um, was the one who kind of was instrumental in helping us get Dawn on. So yep. a, a nod to Emma. Um, Thanks, who's, Emma. <laughs> yeah, who's also very passionate about this this topic and... Um, I guess this podcast came out of Emma and um, Ingrid Stacey, who's another colleague, g- giving a, a short talk at one of our meetings at the school about mm-hmm. the voice to parliament and what it means and what the process is. Um, so, yeah, just an acknowledgement there. And then also I think because this is such a sort of polarised debate, mm-hmm. um, I think we need to be upfront about our own personal views on it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because, because they, do, they do come across in the conversation. They do. And, and we're not a political podcast or, you know, we're not here to to push one side over the other. We're no, just no, we are we are opinions. human, and we have our own thoughts about yeah. these kind of things. So yeah, so yeah, you may pick up from the conversation that I'm in favour of the the voice. You know, yes. and I'm going to be voting yes for it. Same. Yeah, um, um, but that's not to say that we we aren't prepared to consider the alternative views and arguments. Absolutely, and um, I think to have an informed approach, yeah. you have to consider both that's aspects right. of it. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, speaking for me personally, I sort of come from a bit of a, pr- a privileged perspective in that I've done a law degree, so I mm-hmm. kind of understand uh, on some level how the constitution works. And whereas I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I know what the what the likely legal implications of this change to the constitution are, um, and so it doesn't scare me in the same way that it might scare someone who has no knowledge of that. And so I understand mm. why people might take a different view, but. Yeah, that's sort of just where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> yes, whereas I, I guess my perspective is um, I, I kind of just see it as a, a moral choice mm. um, to and, – and this would be a perspective in terms of a public health point of view in that um, my background is in psychology and public health. And for me, um, I have a very uh, – kind of big awareness of fairness mm-hmm. um, and that's always been a very big thing for me um, so my perspective is is really based on just making sure that everything's equitable and people yep. get the opportunities that we all deserve 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. And so I, I think whatever perceived risk there is in changing the constitution to allow parliament to create a mm. mechanism for the voice to, to exist, I think the the risks are far outweighed by the benefits mm. and just some of the things you just said there around equity and, yeah. you know. But these are our perspectives yeah. um, and, you know, it's important to have multiple different voices um, to, to show different perspectives of these things, which is exactly why we've gotten... Yeah. Dawn onto the podcast, yeah. so we can hear Indigenous perspectives about the voice and, and right. what we're actually voting on. Yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll stop rambling, <laughs> and we'll let you listen to to a um, a very wise professor, Dawn Besserab. Fine. Okay, well, yeah, my name's um, Dawn Bessarab and I uh, actually come from the West Kimberley. I was born in Broome, um, grew up in Broome and um, eventually, after lots of different journeys, came to live in Perth. I'm now the director of the Centre for Aboriginal Medical and Dental Health, CAMDA, and we provide pathways for Aboriginal people who might aspire to be a doctor or a dentist and, more recently, ophthalmology. Um, so in that health field, I'm a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my background. I came into social work as a mature age student. So, you know, um, I don't think you're ever too late to uh, if you decide that that's what you want to do to get an education. Um, I'm also now a professor and um, I'm the chief investigator of a centre for research excellence and we're leading uh, Indigenous research around Indigenous ageing. And uh, we're, uh, one of my colleagues, Kate Smith, Dr. Kate Smith, has developed a, uh, a culturally appropriate tool called the Good Spirit, Good Life tool, which is around um, assessing and for service providers around assessing whether an Indigenous, older Indigenous person in care has a quality of life. Mm-hmm. And there aren't any uh, Indigenous quality of life tools. So this is one of the first um, culturally appropriate tools. So the mm-hmm. centre is actually validating the tool. We validated it when it was first developed in Perth and in Melbourne, but now we're looking to validate it in the Torres Strait Islands and in the Kimberley with uh, regional and remote people. Mm. And so we're looking at, um, you know, whether the tool works for different Aboriginal groups and that the conceptual um, basis of the tool works. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we have found so far is that it's just the language and some of the wording, um, for instance, in the Torres Strait, when one of the questions is around, are you connected to your country? Mm-hmm. Well, they said, well, we actually don't talk about country here because we talk about the islands and the sea. Mm. Right. And that makes sense yeah. because they're saltwater people, but they live on an island. It's mm-hmm. sort of not the same as Aboriginal people living in country. In country. Like country. So yeah. those, okay. But they, they liked all of the other 12 factors. The tool was developed by elders, so okay. they, they're agreeing with the conceptual. Um, mm. I also teach mm-hmm. um, uh, into the medical program, and uh, I had a lot to do with developing the um, concept of yarning mm-hmm. when I did my PhD, and uh, it's kind of taken off a little yep. bit. So people are using yarning 
um, mm-hmm. throughout the country and also internationally. Mm-hmm. And I've worked closely with uh, Dr. Ivan Lin, uh, who's a physio from Geraldton, works at the Western Australian Centre for Rural Health, WACRA. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, Ivan approached me about uh, developing the clinical yarning framework, which is we know from health research, because mm-hmm. I'm a health researcher, that a lot of uh, Aboriginal people were talking about poor communication, um, racism in the com- in the conversations between them and health professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people would say to us, well, I don't know how to talk to an Aboriginal person. And we we're like, what do you mean you don't know how to talk to an <laughs> Aboriginal person? They're a human being just like anyone else and they're, they're in front of you because they want a service in relation to their health. Yeah. Um, so we... we um, we got together and developed the, the clinical yarning framework based on my research yarning framework, and uh, Ivan has taken that quite far in terms of developing training yeah. modules. Um, and I've done uh, I've a very eclectic background. I've come from child protection, um, justice, mm-hmm. uh, health, Aboriginal, and Aboriginal affairs. So. Um, when I came from, and my, my, my background was more around human services, but when I came to work in the health field, I thought, oh, I don't really know anything about health because mm-hmm. I've you know, spent all my life working in the human services around family violence and drug and alcohol and yeah. you know, justice. But when I started to understand more around social determinants, yeah. I thought, I do understand social determinants because I worked yeah. across all of those social mm. determinants when you're working in justice yeah. or child protection. Mm-hmm. You're right in the middle of health, basically. I'm right in the middle yeah. of it, yeah, yeah. except health, um, uh, we didn't call it social determinants in, in the health services, in, in the human services field. Mm. Um, but also, I, I worked in my own community, so I have a very good knowledge of grassroots and mm-hmm. what it is like to work in a very remote community and back mm-hmm. in the day when CDP was still on and mm-hmm. I, I used to manage the CDP program, um, people go, well, you know, that was a long time ago, but you know what? Yeah, things have changed, but there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> that haven't changed. And when I listen to the stories um, of people talking about their lived experience in communities, those issues of remoteness, those issues of uh, lack of education opportunities, although our young kids now have got a lot of opportunities, Mm -hmm. which is really more than I ever had when I was growing up, um, those are the things that have changed. But some of the remoteness and um, the barriers Mm -hmm. are still there. Right. Um, So I have a a wide range of of different... um, different skills and knowledges Mm -hmm. and I I used to do a lot of cross-cultural training Mm -hmm. and uh, that's come a long way but some of the issues that we used to raise in cross-cultural training we're still dealing with racism for instance Mm -hmm. it's coming out of the woodwork Um, I remember when I first started at CAMDA and I said you know maybe we should be and listening to some of the experiences of our students I said you know maybe we need to be introducing racism into the curriculum but Mm -hmm. at that time my staff went oh no 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 we we, you know it's a bit bit too sensitive too confronting but we're now we've got a seminar yeah. Mm, that's good. Um, that we that we run each year now with mm. all of our medical students mm. around racism. I so think that a lot shows of people don't even realise. Yeah. Mm. yeah, most people would not even realise that they're being racist. Systemic sort of racism. Yeah. yeah. But you know what was interesting about the seminar was we had a question in there for all of our students. You know, um, and it was one of those. Uh, what do you call it when you 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 don't have to talk directly, but you put it. Um, I can't think of the program. Oh, it's like um like a quiz program or something. Yeah, so we, it's a SMS a question. Some, and it comes yeah. 
yeah. the yeah. So, you know, we ask um, the students, you know, um, tell us about a time when you may have experienced racism. And what blew me out of the water when we got all the comments coming back, and, you know, we hadn't even thought about this because, you know, we were focused on our Indigenous students, but the number of um, Chinese students, mm. um, you mm-hmm. know, Indian students, students from, uh, you know, Asia and different groups from within Asia and from India and all of that, uh, their experiences of racism. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, we'd never really thought about other cultural mm. groups who are... And that shouldn't have surprised me because, mm. you know, Australia is... And I don't care what yeah. people say, it is racist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a good thing that we're starting to talk about racism within the curriculum mm-hmm. and um, raise it with our students and particularly young students who are going to be going out to be doctors. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very important. Because one thing that we sort of chatted about before is that we've got family members and friends and stuff who say we don't really understand this and we don't oh, know what's going yeah. on. I know. I spoke to my my daughter-in-law yesterday. She's not Indigenous. And I said to her, so what's happening with you and your family? I said, are you guys voting yes or no? And she goes, oh, well, I'm really not sure. And I said, what aren't you sure about? She said, well, we were at the football yesterday and I was speaking to um, uh, one of her nephew's um, aunties, and she's non-Indigenous, but Mm -hmm. she's with an Indigenous fellow. Mm -hmm. And she goes, and she was saying to me that, you know, that she doesn't know what to do, but that he is saying no, vote no. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, and he's Aboriginal. So, you know, like we're all thinking maybe we need to vote no because he's saying vote no. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what what is he saying? She goes, oh, because he reckons that if if we vote yes, it's going to increase the racism in this okay. country. Mm. And I said, really? I said, Where, which um, rock was he born under? Mm. You know, I said, uh, racism has been in this country from the day that Captain Cook put his bloody flag in the ground. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to increase it. Yeah. I said, what it's doing is bringing it out. Yeah. And it's always been there. I mm. said, but it's interesting that um, I said he's coming from a very uninformed Position, if that's why he's saying no. Yeah. And, you know, I started to explain to her around, um, look, let's move away from this moment in time and fast forward to 200 years from now. Yeah. You know, I said, you're going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. Yeah. We're all, all the people that all this is happening with is all going to be gone. I said, but our great, great, great grandchildren will still be here. Yeah. And all the other young Aboriginal uh, relatives and descendants of families today and what we do now will have huge ramifications into the future yep. because if we vote yes it's enshrined in the constitution it mm-hmm. can't be removed well it could be I suppose but then it would, it would be, take difficult, huge, to be it. difficult to remove it <laughs> yeah. I said you know it'll be in the constitution and yeah the voice isn't about um, I said the voice is around ensuring that successive governments can't just dismantle yeah. the Aboriginal voice when it suits them. I said, we only have to see all of the different organisations that have existed over the years and the one that was really 
particular was ATSEC. Mm-hmm. Government was looking for an excuse to get rid of ATSEC, and ATSEC was the closest that we would have come to a voice. Yeah. Because, it, you know, and I said, they just got rid of ATSEC like that, mm. and they've never replaced it. They've replaced it with other advisory Advisory bodies which haven't been um, democratically elected by the communities and I said and that's been a big issue But, you know, the only thing that I haven't heard in this whole debate is, I mean, I did see a reference to the Maori structure in New Zealand, but no one has talked about the Sami in Norway. And when I visited Norway, I was really surprised to find that the Sami have a a parliament, Mm -hmm. a Sami parliament, which has been um, established in the 1800s. Okay. Right? They've got this most amazing parliament building... And the Sami parliament, uh, and the closest that I see the voice, and Sami parliament reminded me of the ATSIC structure mm-hmm. because it's elected across all the different Sami nations mm-hmm. to this parliament, which is an amazing building. I can show you a photo of it because mm-hmm. I visited it. And um, they are an advisory body to the Norwegian government. Mm-hmm. They don't make decisions, but they actually meet. They have just like a parliament structure. They've got their seats you know, all their mm-hmm. members' chairs and the big sort of uh, podium where the speaker gets up and talks and blah, yep. blah, blah. And um, it's funded by the Norwegian mm. government. Mm-hmm. So they get a certain amount of funding to, you know, maintain the building. And then the Norwegian government consults with them around um, issues relating to Sami nations. nations yeah. And one of the most um, significant decisions that they that they were involved in and they said you know like and, and their issues are very similar to aboriginal people because when i was having a yarn with with one of the key speakers he said well i said well you know how do you go with your your elections he said well not everybody will vote he said you know and we're trying to encourage people and they all have their their issues mm-hmm. with the process he said but um and we went through this which was like a not a fjord, but it was in between two very huge, steep hills. And the, the Norwegian government wanted to block it off and dam it. Mm-hmm. And there were quite a few villages mm-hmm. in this region. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were saying to us, if the Norwegian government had have gotten its way and would have um, turned this into a dam, you see that church, and we're going, yeah, and they see that steeple, see how high the steeple is? I said, yeah, they said that the water would have, you would have had about that much of the steeple poking Mm. out of, he said it would have been an incredibly, and he said, and we all lobbied, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the times when the Sami came together, Um, we lobbied the government and we stopped that from happening, Mm. and as a result, we're standing here today and having a talk about it. So the Norwegian, um, the Sami parliament Mm -hmm. is a voice Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's enshrined in their constitution, right. but that speaks to the fact that if it's not enshrined, and I don't know, they probably do have a constitution. Mm. I didn't ask about those sort of um, upper levels of, of governance. Yeah. But if we just want to, to look at that, um, even if it's not enshrined in their constitution, they were recognised back in the 1800s. Mm. <laughs> we have never been recognised. That's right, other than... To- to, to your detriment where you've been yeah. specifically excluded, you That's know, right. from being in the population. That's right. Yeah. And the fact that, um, that uh, you know, there is this no vote, to me it's around a power and control issue, mm-hmm. which is trying to keep Aboriginal people in their place. Yeah. 
you know, how dare you have a voice which is enshrined in um, in the Constitution. Yeah. And yet the non-Indigenous people have got the dominant voice. Yeah. But they don't really well, yeah. acknowledge that. And, you know, the argument that some of the um, Indigenous no voters have been pushing is that, you know, why do we need a voice? We've already got, you know, Aboriginal people in Parliament. That's beside the point. The fact is, as those people were voted in, they can be voted out. Yeah, <laughs> at any time. You know, yeah. it's not it's not enshrined in legislation, and the only fact that they're in there is not because Parliament has a a quota that mm. says, you know, uh, three members of Parliament will be, or one senator will be Indigenous, and that. Yeah. No, you you you're voted in along with the rest of the Australian. And why yeah. why should Aboriginal people be treated differently? Well, because we've been treated differently from the from yeah. the state, you know. So yeah, a lot of those arguments kind of fall beside. Yeah. Anyway, I'm yawning. Let's let's no, get started. No, so that's kind of where my position. Yeah. Just yeah. to kind of. No, no. Well, yeah. So we, we have actually started recording. Yeah. Oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> but, right. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. yeah. But, and if you're happy for that to yeah. to go out, yeah, yeah I think yeah. that was some really good insight. Um, good start. But yeah, but I think um, just one observation. I think the the no campaign is trying to conflate equality and equity as mm. two things. Yeah. Aboriginal people are not starting from the same point as non, non-Aboriginal people. They're starting from a greater disadvantage. So in order for them to get the same outcomes, they need to there needs to be inequality, if you like, to, to help balance up that imbalance. So, yeah, I think it's just a circular kind well, of... Well, it's that whole positive discrimination, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I don't think people really understand that yeah. because they only understand from a very dominant yeah. um, position, which is it's about us. And, yeah. you know, you're trying to take something away from us. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I, many years ago when I first started getting into academia and um, lecturing on Aboriginal issues, I was doing some research looking for material to um, talk to the class around the historical um, uh, experiences of Aboriginal people yeah. in Australia. And I came across this um, clip uh, and I've never been able to find it since, and I didn't record, I didn't note where I found it, but it was a small video recording mm-hmm. back in the 90, early 1900s. And they were talking then about whether they would, and that was at the time of establishing the Federation, mm-hmm. and they were talking about voting and who should get the rights to vote in the Constitution. And they were the, the the ministers, which of course were middle class white men from England. Yep. And there was a group of them uh, yarning about this, and they were saying, "Well, uh, you know, at the moment, Western Australia and a lot of the other states, we don't. It's not populated by by us, meaning mm-hmm. white people, and the Aboriginal population is the dominant population. So if we actually say yes to them having a right to vote." They've got the majority, yeah. So we could be voted out, and they went. I was like, did I? Did I really just hear that? Mm-hmm. So I flipped it back, and I thought I did too. Mm. And they said no. So we'll say no to Aboriginal people now. Being counted, essentially. To being counted mm. and not having the right to vote yeah. because we were the dominant at before they'd killed us all off. Right. Um, population, and I thought, wow. So that was one of the reasons, underlying reasons, 
was it was political. Mm-hmm. And so, and and I hadn't heard anyone else talk about this until Marcia Langton. Um, I was listening to her talk at the Lowitcher Conference just recently in Queensland, and she was talking about the voice. Mm-hmm. And she raised the same point. And I thought, thank you, Marcia. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just imagining that I'd seen this. Mm-hmm. But she talked about the same thing around the dominant, the yeah. dominant population and the dominant voice. And this yeah. is this will change where we do have a voice. But what people don't understand is that we we still don't, I don't think that this goes far far enough myself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because we'll have a voice, but we won't have teeth. Yep. Um, it's really about just an advisory capacity mm-hmm. where we're advising the government. And it's not that – and I was just reading some of the literature on um, the no vote, and, you know, someone made a comment in there around, well um, – you know, the voice will be able to, to vote, to comment on our dams and comment on this. And I'm thinking they would only comment if it's actually relating to Aboriginal um, country that mm-hmm. is going to be disturbed or, or damaged. Yeah. And we already know the damage that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest issues is that, um, you know, mining companies, and if it suits the government because they get a buck out of it, yeah. they'll go ahead and, and then pretend, well, we know nothing or, you know, we, we, we didn't know that this was happening or, you know, yada, 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 that mm. sort of stuff. But the that would be the only situation that I would see now. Maybe I'm being naive. I don't know. But the voice really is around, um, as I see it, advising the government, but also uh, I would hope that it would be a two-way process mm-hmm. where we would be able to raise things with Parliament. doesn't mean that we'd get listened to, but right. we can raise it. Mm-hmm. But they can also come back and raise things with the advisory body mm-hmm. around Indigenous issues. And um, hopefully there'll be a conversation around that in yeah. terms of what an action might be. But um, if we don't have the voice, then what do we have? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I guess that's where, like, a lot of my friends have been confused is, like, it's an ad- area for advice and that's all it is. It's not something to, mm. like, it's it's just providing additional information on situations that are already happening, from what I understand, um, rather than saying you must do this. Um, so, yeah, it's been interesting hearing that kind of perspective where people think that it's more than just an advisory committee. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what they've been told. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's the same um, argument, different, maybe different scenario, but same type of rationale that was being used when native title was being discussed. You know, mm-hmm. black fellows are going to move into your backyard and take your barbecues mm. and take <laughs> your, your blocks and, you know, yeah. all of that. Um, and now it's like, well, you know, we're going to be dominating the whole space in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, when, in fact, if we look at, bring it back to the whole issue of racism, that this is going to increase racism or Aboriginal people are being divisive, Australia was grounded, was founded on divisiveness. Mm. Australia was founded on racism. We only have to see the white Australian policy Mm. back in the 1900s. Mm. Why was that um, developed? To keep the Chinese out of the country. Mm 
um, and because they didn't want, you know, that was racist. Yeah. Um, Aboriginal people were, um, uh, were, were not even visible Mm-hmm. Because of Terra Nullius. And if you actually look at the whole, um, the political uh, underpinnings of Terra Nullius, because if Cook could say there was no one here, then they weren't legally bound yeah. to recognise sovereignty. That's right. And that's what he did, mm. you know. And if you look at the way, the timeline of, um, which kind of threw me one day when I was looking at timelines, oh my goodness, 1788. If you look at what was happening in England, they were just abolishing slavery Mm. around that time. And, you know, they were saying, no, this isn't right. Slavery is not right. Yet Cook was um, planting the flag in the ground and um, taking away the rights of, of Indigenous people. So... And we've never had a treaty. They've never. I know that there are some of the no voters who are surprised about in terms of the indigenous um, community mm. are pushing for treaty. Mm-hmm. Great idea. I don't know how real that will be, right. and what a treaty, you know, because that would still surely have to be enshrined. I'm not sure what the mm. legal. I'm not mm. a constitutional lawyer or anything like that. But I think the voice is at least the first step in ensuring that we get recognised into the constitution. Yep. And um, I don't think that uh, that morally this is wrong. Mm. I mean, if you're coming from a social justice and a humanitarian, this has been long overdue to acknowledge Aboriginal people. And for those of our community that are being swayed by the no vote, you know, I often wonder, haven't you ever experienced racism? Can you sit Mm. there and go on about this is going to increase racism or this is dividing the country? Have you ever experienced it? Mm. You know, I don't know... And if a person, an Aboriginal person says no, then maybe they've been lucky or maybe they've chosen not to notice when they're being treated differently. Mm. Um, But I don't know of any Aboriginal person that hasn't been treated differently. It doesn't matter how fair you are. Uh, You know, if you've got family with um, different range of skin colours, and I do, Mm -hmm. and I've seen how they've been treated differently. And uh, when there's no one else that's darker than me, I've been treated differently. Right. No. So yeah, um, yeah racism is is around. It's not mm. like it's something new. And for Aboriginal people to be saying like this man, which I was quite surprised about, to say, "Well, I'm scared," they they're they're being frightened into saying no. Yeah. You know, they're not saying no from a a. A political perspective or a moral position, it's because they're fearful mm. of rocking the boat. Yeah. I mean, you kind of need to, though, considering yeah. we're all very racist. Well, nothing's, yeah. Yeah, nothing's going to change done. without people yeah. being, you know, um, I guess it's this element of bravery in it because you're doing something different, right? Mm. But it's an acknowledgement that what's happened up until now hasn't really worked out that well. And so we should do something different. Well, it's also because Aboriginal people are stepping up mm. and saying no. Yeah. Or no to the no's, but stepping up yeah. and saying yes. Yeah. Mm. And having that um, conversation. And so I think that is scary for a lot of um, community people who perhaps uh, are actually standing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Um, because to and what I'm thinking is that the no vote, if it is gathering momentum like the press is saying, mm. um, 
are they gathering momentum because people are just saying, well, this seems to be the dominant voice, so we'll just go along with it. Not because mm. we think it's right or wrong or because I really know what this is about. I'll just say no because it seems like this is the right thing to do mm. when, in fact, um, it's not the right thing to do. And I, I did see the, um, you know, the government posted out literature which hit everyone's post box. It hasn't arrived mm. with me yet. Oh, really? I can show it to you. I yeah. bought it in for you yeah. to have a look at. It's very informed. Yeah. It's mm. very informed, but, again, it means you have to read it. Mm. Mm. And it's in standard Australian English, mm-hmm. and so it could be for a lot of um, grassroots mm-hmm. f- uh, community people who would prefer to sit and have a yarn rather than open the document up and read it mm-hmm. and go through it, you know, what does this mean, that mean? It's possible that a lot of people haven't um, haven't read it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I've received it and I haven't read it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there'll be a lot of people that just don't yeah. read it. No, and a lot of people are listening to social media, yes. listening to the radio. Like There's I've so been many TikToks. Oh, yeah. no, oh, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And also the radio. Yeah. I won't mention a particular radio station, but <laughs> I, I listen to it because I. It, it seems to me like if you're going to listen to a radio station where you get a lot of very. Um, Left wing, mm-hmm. yeah, or right wing, right wing views. Mm. Uh, this is one of the stations. Okay, and the you know the people who ring up and some of the things that they're saying, it's like I don't believe that they just said this. Mm. But unfortunately, some of the radio jocks go along with it, mm. you know, mm. and yeah, uh, they're right. they're sort of jumping on the same reason for saying no. Right, and you know, like I, I was listening to um, uh, the same particular radio station where the minister came on. And they, they made a really good point when they said, you know, look, there is no... It wasn't actually wasn't the minister. It was um, the the head of the... I can't think of his name. The, the Yes the yes campaign. Yeah, OK. And he was saying, look, the reason that there is no detail is because we just need to make the decision and the detail will come later. He said when they were developing the constitution, if they would have tried to work out the details of how this was going to work across Australia, it would never have happened mm. Mm. because you can't go down to that level. And anyone that's worked in a, uh, you know, any type of project when you're just getting the concept together to vote on that, you know, I don't know how many times when I was growing up, when I was working in policy and, you know, working in government, et cetera, and we'd start, they'd ask, you know, well, this is what we want to do. Let's have a yarn about the major concept and decide on that. And when we'd start really pulling it apart, they'd go, no, 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 we're not at the detail stage. Mm. We just want to make a decision that this is what we want want to do. The, we'll talk about the details later. And I think, I suspect that this is a similar type of, of process. Yeah. Once we get it in, then the detail will be, you know, worked out. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But I think a lot of, they're using, the no voters are using that as a sticking point. Like mm. I saw the, the uh, analogy to a vehicle. Well, you know, when you buy a vehicle, you want to know how it works and you want to know all the details about it. Yeah, you do. But, um, would you apply that to this process? I'm not and, sure. And also, who other than a, like a really qualified mechanic knows how their vehicle works oh, in yeah. reality? <laughs> Let's be honest. What's under the hood? I couldn't tell you. There's an engine and yeah. Yeah. some petrol. You yeah. know. And a lot of people buy cars without even looking under the hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it work? Good enough for me. I'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, but we're not – I don't think that this whole – 
process has been around that. It's asking no. people to think. Yeah. Um, but it's also saying, you know, and for people who are saying, well, you know, uh, the Uluru Statement of the Heart, I never, I didn't know about that. Well, hello, where have you been for the last, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, three or four years? It's been out there. Um, there's been a lot of press around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to, for someone to say, well, I don't know about it or I don't know about the voice, well, you know what? If you don't know about it, go speak to someone who does. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't think people can use that as an as an excuse. No. And, you know, nobody told me, well, are you an adult? If you're a voter in this country, then yeah. um, you owe it to inform yourself yeah. and go and get right information. And, That's you know, right. there's lots of information out there, but some of it is not coming from, um, I think, uh, uh, what's the word? Legitimate yeah, sources. So- sources. Yeah, and yeah. so there's a bit of false news. Yeah. Um, there's a fear factor. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of gossip. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that's all sort of yeah look, informing the uh, yeah the look, debate. I think the the scary stuff is what gets the media coverage because that's interesting and that sells papers and gets clicks on the internet and that sort of thing. Whereas the fact that the voice is really an uncontroversial proposition it's a very simple thing that they're saying this they're saying we're going to one recognize people uh, indigenous people in the constitution and then two we're going to then there must be a body that the parliament actually controls so at any point in the future if there's a change in government and the other side gets in they could change what that body looks like there just has to be a body that's pretty un- uncontroversial. So the, the no campaigners are saying, oh, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. So, well, when your side is back in power again, you can change it if you want. Mm. You know, if you have the support in parliament, you can change it, but it just has to be there in some form. So I, I really just think it's a like a, a fallacious argument and it's clearly a political thing, you know. Oh, definitely. You know, the more I listen to it, it almost is like they've forgotten what the voice is really about and it's become a point-scoring exercise Mm. and it's like a race. Mm. We're going to win this race. It's not about, you know, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about a group of people, a community of people that have been um, divided, Mm -hmm. have been alienated, have been marginalised have been disadvantaged, have been treated differently mm-hmm. since 1788, have even been um, massacred and yeah. murdered, genocide, their families broken up. So if you're talking from a moral compass, right, and I don't think there is a moral compass here, mm-hmm. um, then you have to look at this. If, if there's anything in this country that's the right thing to do, the right thing to do is to vote yes mm. because it's about acknowledging the harms and you know Rudd did that with the with the with his apology, apology yeah. and this is taking that apology further yeah. um, than just saying I'm sorry this is the way that the Australian community yeah. can all say you know what we're going to take that sorry and take it further by saying we're going to say yes to acknowledge yep. Aboriginal people in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the voice, what is the difference to having it enshrined in Constitution to setting up a, a body like ATSIC or, you know, people talking about it's going to cost money and, well, you know what, when you're trying to redress the wrongs of a group of people that mm. have been treated differently, who's um, the, the, the gap between the mortality of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people is so big. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we have children in this country with high rates of rheumatic heart disease, mm-hmm. which has been virtually eradicated from the non-Indigenous population. Yeah. Uh, one has to ask the question, well, if you've been able to take it from the non-Indigenous population in Australia, why is it that Aboriginal people have got a huge rate of rheumatic mm. heart disease. What's going on there? You yeah. know, so, you know, all of those arguments around it's going to cost money. Well, you know, the submarines that they're talking about is going to cost a lot of <laughs> money too, billions. but that doesn't seem to be an issue. Mm. Um, maybe it's a different argument. I don't know. But I think that if you're coming from a social justice and a human rights, and it's not like, oh, there we go, the academics talking again and getting on their moral high horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Um when they're talking about um, the survivors of um, the First and the Second World War mm-hmm. and, you know, the re- remembering their sacrifice and all of that, uh, and then we're talking about Aboriginal people, mm. well, I think, and someone will probably get really upset about this, <laughs> but, you know, I had a brother that was killed in Vietnam, so I do know what it's like to lose someone in a war. And, you know, my brother uh, went to fight for uh, Australia in, mm-hmm. in protecting the rights of the Vietnamese community. Um, and we had a lot of Aboriginal people who went and fought in the First and Second World War. But when they got back to this country, they weren't entitled to the same rights. Mm, couldn't vote still, could they? They still couldn't vote. But, mm. you know, a lot of the war um, the war survivors, you know, were allowed, to, they got, I think, uh, they got some land or they got things from the government. Right. Um, you know, they came back from the war. They couldn't even go into a pub and drink. Mm-hmm. Because that was um, only for white people only, right. you know. So uh, yeah. it's around that moral positioning yeah. and the right thing to do. What I'm not sure about is why we're even having a referendum about it. I would have thought to you know you know if we do vote no in the end, and I guess what I see happening is a lot of people outside of Australia will be like Australia is very racist um what I don't understand is why steps just haven't been made in the government to put this in anyway. Think, well, but think, is that because it's to do with the constitution? Yeah. Do we have to vote when it comes to the constitution? Or so, from a yeah. legal point of view, so they've tried to do this in the past in some form with ATSIC and with with other similar right. bodies, which I think have been creatures of legislation. So they're at the will of the parliament. Yeah. So the parliament can basically bring in legislation to bring those. ATSIC and whatever in, they can also bring in legislation to say, right, it's done, we're getting rid of it. Right. So the point with this is to say, if it's in the constitution that there must be this body in place, and it's up to the department to to decide how that body looks, there must be a body at all times then, Mm. and it can't be taken away unless they change the constitution again to take it out. And so because we're putting in the constitution, we have to vote. Is that... Yeah, it's it's the same as going to an election. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, that's why. Um, but I, th- I think, actually, there is popular support for this amongst the population. You know, if you mm. took, took a poll of people, more than 50% of the population would say yes. 
Yeah, but it's yeah. just the way our system's set up that you need a majority of Australians, but you also need a majority, a majority of states. State. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. where the, the stickiness is because it mm-hmm. needs to actually be four, at a minimum of four states. So three states isn't enough, even mm-hmm. though that potentially mm-hmm. could be a pass because it's three out of six. Yeah. It has to be four <laughs> out of six. So that's mm-hmm. where the trickiness is. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to pick up a point that you mentioned there, Dawn, about the people talking about the cost and how it's going to cost money. I'd, I'd almost make the argument that it's going to be more expensive not to do this because we already spend a lot of money on Indigenous programs around the country, you know, aimed at trying to help people and whatnot. And arguably, the reason that those programs t- tend to not get the results that we would hope for is that they're not designed for and delivered by Aboriginal people. And I think that's the whole point of The Voice is to acknowledge that the Indigenous people are a really important part of the community. They're the original Australians, you know, from tens of thousands of years um, with one of the oldest cultures in the world. We, they're not going to go anywhere. Like, we, we, we need to be able to, to make life better for, mm. for Indigenous people. Um, we've tried to do it in different ways and there's been political point scoring on each side, etc. Ultimately, I think we can all agree it hasn't worked up until now. This is one, I think, fairly small step towards making that system work better, you know. Yes. And that's the way I see it as a... I'm, I'm an immigrant to this country when I was a, a young child um, from a you know, Anglo-Saxon sort of background. Um, but, yeah, just from my perspective, that just seems to be like the common sense view is... Um, and we've had Aboriginal researchers on the podcast before who mm. say, not about us without us. So don't do stuff that affects us without asking us and getting us to mm. contribute and lead, yeah. you know, those processes. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about um, Indigenous leadership at the very top level mm. and it uh, putting it into the constitution takes it away from the whims of um, whatever party's in place. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, yes, they could rechange it, but I'm sure that uh, when the details get worked out, the, the, um, the Indigenous voice, the... The, the advisory group that's uh, elected in will probably be elected in for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm uh, well I'm hoping that it won't just be a simple thing of oh we don't like them anymore we're going to change mm-hmm. it there'd probably have to be a process in place whereas at the moment it didn't take long to disband ATSEC No it was one decision by It was one decision yeah, well, he was also informed by um, mm. certain people, but yeah. it was one decision. And, um, you know, not everything is uh, – and, and this is what really makes me cross when I hear this. Well, you know, not even Aboriginal people can agree amongst themselves about, you know, voting yes. Right. You know, there's this dissenting voice. Well, hey, hang on a minute. Um, are Aboriginal people not allowed to have a dissenting voice? You know, we're not homogenous. Yeah. Have you ever tuned into Parliament? Mm. They can't agree on anything. And if you look at the way they call each other names and behave, Mm. it's actually quite disgusting. Yeah. But, you know, they're allowed to do that. Yeah. Aboriginal people aren't like this. They have to be exactly the same on everything. Exactly. And this is part of the divisiveness and part of the the discrimination is that, you know, we're supposed to be all homogenous and we're all supposed to come together and agree on things. We're not allowed to have a a differing perspective and Mm. point of view. So I think that argument is really stupid, but I've seen that happening. And then you get the, you know, when I talked about this particular radio station, you get people calling in and going, yeah, well, you know, Aboriginal people can't even agree amongst themselves and... (laughs) 
you know. So, um, well, yeah, you can't agree with your neighbour yeah, about yeah. your face, like, so <laughs> yeah, who cares? Yeah. yeah, and it's like, well, you know, well, well, hang on a minute, what are you really saying here? So, yeah. but people don't look at back at themselves. Mm. They're constantly looking at what yeah. Aboriginal people should, could, should be and aren't, what they should do and aren't, rather than, well, am I listening to what I'm saying? You yeah. know, like, I'm allowed to have a different point of view, but they're not. Yeah. And so that talking about people in terms of the other that's right. and they, yeah. um, that's all part of the, the, the discrimination and the discriminating. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I find that... Um, quite interesting that they're using that yeah. as a I, I as think, a reason. Yeah, I think that that people also just you know, we say indigenous Australians or um, indigenous and Torres Strait people, but there's like like 400 different communities and groups within that and so it just like logically wouldn't make sense that all 400 or so communities would all agree on one thing. Like Yeah. It just seemed that seems impossible. Like, no. of course, it has to be a spectrum. That's of, right. Of different cultural decisions. groups, different language groups, yeah. etc. So, of course, they're going to have different ideas and needs Absolutely. and thoughts. So, it's going to have to be a, a flexible arrangement, you know? And mm. that, that sort of brings me to another point. So, one of the things that the No campaign's throwing out there is this, this is a Canberra voice. It's coming from elite, <laughs> elite pe- uh, members of the Aboriginal community. You know, it doesn't high, represent. doesn't represent the grassroots. Now, I, I don't know how much involvement you've had with the consultations that went on before this, but I'm assuming you can shed a bit of light on the sorts of people who were involved in the Uluru Statement and those discussions. Well, I, w- I, wasn't, um, I, di- I wasn't in Alice Springs when the Uluru Statement was... Um, uh, was uh, Created, mm-hmm. but my understanding is that there were a lot of community people present at that um, conference, and yes, you did have um, uh, academics and uh, people from Canberra and mm-hmm. the eastern states. But you know what? Um, traditionally, the way this is what was explained to me by my elders, and uh, I'm barred mm-hmm. from the the West Kimberley. Um, uh, up on the Dampier Peninsula and we're saltwater people and on my mum's side I'm in Jabundi from the um, the Pilbara mm-hmm. around the mill stream but my bard elders um, told me you know when I was a child growing up that traditionally uh, you didn't have one boss in the community you had uh, a range of people who had all different skills and knowledges mm-hmm. and people came together using their different knowledges and skills at different times to benefit the collective, the group. So it wasn't around one person knowing it all and having it all. It was people coming together with a range of different skills. Uh, They might have had a really good healer, a Mm. good uh, hunter, um, someone who was very good at uh, creating tools and spears and and knew how to use them, Mm -hmm. someone who was a good tracker, someone who had knowledge of the country, the the lawmen who had the spiritual and the the um, the custodial um, knowledge and experiences. Mm-hmm. And so people put all that together to ensure that the group, the collective, was looked after and maintained. Yep. So governance was really from a collective perspective. So if we look at... Um, uh, the Uluru statement from the heart and this argument that it's all of these academics and highfalutin people at the top end mm. and none of the grassroots. Well, I 
I don't really um, support that. Mm-hmm. And one, um, as someone said to me when I was doing my PhD, is that you know I'm not a, um, I can't say that I'm a I'm a traditional Aboriginal because I haven't been through law, but I still feel that I've got something to offer because I understand the way that the government works. I understand the way that um, you know uh, the 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 political system works. So I have the administrative knowledge Mm -hmm. and a lot of the mob that I work with have got the cultural and the community knowledge but they don't have the administrative knowledge Mm. and sometimes that's where our organisations and communities, you know, struggle. But if we put the administrative authority and the administrative knowledge together with the custodial and the traditional and all of that, then we can work together to ensure that we're getting what we need or we're lobbying government. Mm -hmm. So I think when you apply that um, arguing to the whole Uluru statement, yes, you did have um, educated uh, people from Canberra, but they come with the administrative knowledge. They understand the way the system works, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't have put the Uluru statement together without the Mm -hmm. grassroots people who were talking from the lived experience. And uh, and not that people in Canberra don't have lived experience. Mm -hmm. See, this is what really gets me going sometimes when I hear people carrying on about Aboriginal people who are academics. or must be separate to the rest of the Aboriginal people. Exactly, and we're no longer community people. We all have lived experience, but we bring our different types of lived experience to the table Mm -hmm. and it's because of that lived and we know that government is always going on about the the advantage of having a diverse workforce Mm. because you get much more innovative and creative Mm. ideas when you've got an innovative and a cross-cultural workforce Mm. well hang on if we take that and apply that to the aboriginal community when we have a diverse indigenous community where we have people who are coming from PhDs, uh, you know, constitutional lawyers, bringing in all that administrative and white knowledge, mm. along with uh, our authorities and our experts from the cultural and community level, mm. then that makes a really good mix of people to start looking at what do we, what do we need for our country. Now, road testing it, and that was what the Uluru Statement was about, taking it out to people. And, you know, they did do a lot of um, um, public mm-hmm. communication around the Uluru Statement from the heart. And to be honest, I thought it was a quite a, not simple as in simple, but it was really easy to understand where that was coming from. Yeah. Um, but people got angry about it. Oh, well, I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, grassroots people didn't know about it. Well, how many grassroots people actually knows what's going on in Canberra? Mm. You know? Yeah. How many of them know about some of the legislation <laughs> that's coming out? Like, for instance, the recent one, which has caused a lot of angst, and I thought it was interesting that they they uh, brought it out at the same time that this whole yes-no thing is happening, yeah. is the um, the cultural... Heritage Act, right? The Heritage Act. Mm. And I don't know who... the land? Yeah. Oh. And I don't know who the hell wrote that. Mm. I don't know who put that together, but I don't think it was done in consultation with Aboriginal people Mm. because some of the things in there were absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, who who put this together? Mm. So, you know... um, the, the whole thing around uh, grassroots people are not involved, I don't actually um, – I, I disagree with that. Yeah. The other thing is, is um, you know, one of our strong Aboriginal contenders for the no vote, um, you know, was saying that uh, has the community behind them and right. – 
But, you know, talking to people from the Northern Territory where this senator says that they come from, a lot of them are saying, we don't have anything to do with her. She doesn't represent me. We don't know what the hell she's going on about. (laughs) So one has to raise the question, yet she's purporting to talk for all these grassroots people. Right. Um, Has to ask, you know, where where Mm. is this person I think that's where the politics is coming into it. Because clearly there's a some sort of incentive for them probably to take that approach. They're being rewarded by being promoted within their side of politics. And, yeah, obviously you have to be a bit cynical about that, you know. Yeah, well, you know, when they're saying that um, people don't know about the voice and this person is saying that they know about her, uh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I, think I, the same I hear a different yarn at the commun- at the grassroots level. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that same person was making claims about The Voice actually being 19 pages long, not one page long, and you know, all this sort of stuff. And, mm. yeah, referring to, to material which has been publicly available and um, I think informed the development of The Voice, but the actual statement, the Ulleri statement, is, is one page. One page, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, and that's where this debate has kind of gone is talking about stuff that's nothing to do with the actual voice or the or your Uluru statement. Yeah. It's talking about all these other things to try and scare people and confuse yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, confusing them and bringing in a whole lot of stuff which doesn't make sense. I mean, the Uluru, as I rec- recollect, um, Malcolm Turnbull, I think, was mm-hmm. the... Uh, Third Chamber of Parliament. Yeah, yeah. and he, he kind of pushed back on that. And he, he's actually <laughs> um, backflipped now and said it was a mistake and that he's going to vote yes for the voice. Um, I was actually surprised at the time that he took that view. Yeah, I I was too. I'm assuming it was a product of him trying to keep the people in his party on the same side because he, you know, his leadership clearly was tenuous. You know, he was... Yeah, he wasn't. I didn't have a stable job. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. but I think that you know this is an opportunity um, for the whole of Australia. Like they all voted in the referendum to say yes to mm-hmm. Aboriginal people having the vote, yeah. and uh, you know being part of the the census in this country. Um, this is a, an opportunity for Australians to start to rewrite. Mm-hmm. the past and to enable their children and their generations mm-hmm. to go forward with their heads held high to say, you know what, we we changed um, the history of our country today mm-hmm. by voting yes to put Aboriginal people, uh, recognise them in the constitution, but also saying yes to having a voice, mm-hmm. um, which is not a single voice. It's a voice of people. And as I've said to some of my um, elders and community people that have, you know, a bit saying, well, what do you think about this whole voice thing? And, um, you know, I'm thinking of voting no. Mm. And I've said, why? Well, you know, because I don't like this person and I don't like that person. And it's like, yeah, but it's not about personalities. You know, I've said, you know, um, auntie, you got to look to the future mm. because the people that you may have issues with now they're not going to be around in the future mm. you know it's going to be all our our kids and our grandchildren and our great great grandchildren yep. and so you know we're all going to have an opportunity to say how we want this to work mm-hmm. and um, that's where once it's in that we can then come to the... But we have to get up and be involved. Mm. You can't be a passive bystander sitting on the fence throwing pot shots at the people who are getting up and making um, decisions or questioning the government. Mm. This is about about us, you know. We can't be passengers in the car. Mm. 
Yeah, you've got to lead, take we've got ownership. To, we've yeah. got to be behind the steering wheel. Yeah. And we've all got to be taking turns at the steering wheel and taking, making sure that it's going where we want to go. But we can't just sit there and bitch about it. Right. You know? Yeah. And so this is an opportunity if for us to get up and say, you know what, maybe I don't understand everything about it, but what I do understand is our mob have been disfranchised, we've been um, treated differently, we've been uh, our families have been uh, divided, our language was um, was stopped, our culture was stopped, mm. children were taken away from us, are still being taken away from us. If there's one thing, and if we're talking about self-determining mm. and self-determination, this is the one opportunity I have to self-determine mm-hmm. for my family, my community, about how we go forward into the future. And I don't care about all these no mobbers saying because yeah. they don't represent me. Mm-hmm. They don't live in my shoes and they don't get treated differently mm-hmm. when we may go to the shop or my young children go to the shop and get followed around by a, uh, you know, and I don't know whether the senator that's been going on and on and on about divisiveness has ever experienced this with her family. Mm. Um, and we all know that, you know, the Alice Springs is a very racist mm. place, yeah. um, you know. And it doesn't surprise me that Western Australia and Queensland are showing the biggest lots of because we know that WA and Queensland are the two most racist states yeah. in, in this country. We lock, we lock Aboriginal people up. That's right. More than others. Deaths in yeah. custody. Yeah. You know, and and uh, our, our women being killed. Yeah. And you know all of this case around all the murdered women in this country and how there's been really no follow up in terms of the coal case to try mm. and track what's happened and you know what's happened to. We yeah. know that. So you know if if. if what I would say to all the mob out there, you don't have to agree with anything I'm saying, but you only have to look at the experience of your own mob and mm. your own communities and look back and say, have I been treated differently? Has someone been racist towards me? Mm-hmm. And if they have, then you're not, you're not increasing racism. Mm. We're bringing racism out of the closets. Yeah, mm. shining a light on it. And by saying mm. yes... You're actually speaking up for Aboriginal people and they can't shut you down for that. The no yeah. voice is about shutting Aboriginal people down. That's what it's about. Yeah. And I'm sorry that there are our own mob, but we all know that. You know, Julius Caesar was stabbed in the back by one of his own. Mm. So, you know, we know that yeah. that your own mob is more likely to stab you in the back than somebody that isn't. Maybe that's not a very good example to use. No. However, it doesn't no, surprise it. me that... Yeah. Um, you know, some of our own mob are on the no campaign. And I yeah. I think that um, they've got their reasons. Mm. Yeah. And look, that doesn't mean that I agree with their reasons or that they're morally right. But, no. you know, but this is an opportunity for Aboriginal people to stand up and to have their say without being shut down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did some cultural awareness training um, with a guy from Wanganing. Uh, oh yes, a uh, Danny Ford. No, it wasn't Danny. It was or another, was it uh, the CEO? Um, it wasn't Daniel either. I wasn't uh, Daniel. No, it was an, another chap. A quick clarification: uh, the gentleman's name was Patrick Egan, uh, who's an Aboriginal elder who works at Wanganing. I mean, he, he was saying to us because we, we were asking him like a little bit about the voice and and. Um, Aboriginal people generally kind of whether they're on the same page or and he said no he said like throughout history we've we've been a disparate group spread out across the country we we generally agree on 
some things and we, enough to be able to let people walk across our lands with permission and all that sort of stuff. He says, but generally speaking, you'll get different opinions on most things when you go to different groups, you know. And so, yeah, why the voice would be any different. I mean, I think there is actually an overwhelming majority that support the voice in the Aboriginal communities mm-hmm. that I've that I've been exposed to. Um, but yeah, to think that there wouldn't be, you know, a small percentage that would have a problem with it or maybe be put up to having a problem with it yeah. because it might further their ambitions or you yeah, know, something exactly. like that. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was talking to the Sami, they said this, I said, you know, do all of your mob agree? They go, no, yeah. no. You know, we have we have different opinions and, you know, mistrust and, mm. you know, they challenge us and say that we're not speaking for them or mm. we're not doing the right thing. And I said, oh, so he said, no, well, you know, we don't have a complete consensus. Mm. He said, you know, but um, this is what we're, you know, we're still trying to encourage people to um, participate in the elections mm. and, you know, from the, the local to the regional to the state. To, uh, to the national, and I mm. thought, oh wow, this sounds you know sounds a bit like how ATSIC used to operate. Mm. But uh, the difference is, is that they get a budget. They've got a beautiful, amazing parliament that's mm. called the Sami Parliament, yeah. and um, they've got this advisory group to the government. Mm. And you know, like so, it's, the precedence is there yeah. it's by another indigenous group in another country. But um, mm. yeah, you were yeah. going to say something. Yeah, I, I just want to. I'm going to ask a question that is probably a little, little iffy. I think okay. a, a bit of a devil's advocate kind of thing. But um, in terms of actually getting the voice across, it's probably going to be driven by a white voice to make it a yes. So. And there's, I think there's a lot of uh, discourse in the white Australian population about, um, well, we just want to do uh, what the Indigenous people want and they're not making a decision for themselves. Um, right. Do you think that, well, like how should we make our decision on to voting for this process um, as from like a white perspective? Yeah, it's yeah, a very good question. Mm. I mean, um, so we, we want to do what Aboriginal people want. So then where does that leave you if you're thinking that the no voice is saying that the there's a huge percentage of Aboriginal people that are saying no, mm. like this example that was given to me by my daughter-in-law. Exactly. So does that mean that you say no, even though you might not necessarily agree because this is what Aboriginal people... We don't want people to, white people, to, um, to make their decision because they think that this is what we want. Mm. I think, well, maybe some do, but I think you have to make it from your own moral positioning and if you believe that Aboriginal people in this country have been discriminated and disadvantaged uh, since 1788 and from your own experience, if you think that this is the moral thing to do, then you need to make it from that moral positioning because we don't want you coming back later and go, well, I said yes because that's what they wanted mm. and now look what mm. they're doing and I'm pissed off because I... Wa- oh, sorry. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> because I, 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 I voted yes. Mm. But it'd be, yeah. it'd be a blame-shifting thing again. Exactly. It was like, well, they told me to do it, so that's why I did it this yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, um, it's almost like... Um, a victim type position, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm only doing this because I was told to do it. No, do it because it's the right thing to do, mm. because mm-hmm. you know that it's the right thing to do and because you want your children and your future grandchildren to grow up in a country that is, you know is morally right. And if there's anything that you can do now, this is the opportunity to do it, to try and change the injustices of the past. 
It's mm. not going to make changes overnight. But And, you know, some of those changes we will have yet to see and some of it we probably will never see because it'll be long after we're gone. But, mm. you know, 200 years down the track, your children can say, you know what, my grandparents were alive at that time and... You know, they were a part of changing the history of Australia. We don't know how this will change mm. the Australian climate, but I suspect um, from a, a, an emotional, a psychological um, and a political perspective, I think it will have... And maybe that's what the, the no voters are scared of because they did yeah. say at one point, and I was listening to one of the conversations, and it was around power. Mm -hmm. It's around shifting power. Yeah. You know, if any of you work in the area of family and domestic violence... You know, we talk about the power shift. When you start to challenge the... And I'm not saying that the no voters are perpetrators, but mm. when you're starting to challenge a system that has been entrenched for over 230 years and it's been entrenched around disadvantage and around um, racist, um, racist philosophies and racist paradigms, then to actually start to say we want to shift that mm. is a threat. Yeah, and um, you know, so, uh, and I think I suspect that that some of it is around losing power and control. Is that mm. uh, you know we want to keep Aboriginal people in their place. You know, you can't step out of it. This is the place you've been allocated in yeah. this country. So get down, guy. You know, we don't want you to change that. Yeah, we'll pretend you've got a voice, but then when it suits us, we'll dis you know dissolve the 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 reference mm. group or dissolve the yeah. advisory group. But once your point about it being enshrined in the constitution means that it can't just be dissolved at the whim of whoever's in power. Yeah. Mm. They can talk about okay, maybe we you know, and hopefully it would be um, subject to the same types of governance authorities where people have elected in for a certain time period. Mm. You know, the way that Parliament is. Um, yeah. You know, and we see what happens in Parliament when they decide they want to throw out a Prime Minister <laughs> or they don't like the person leading right. them. Yeah. So, you know, those those procedures and stuff and are already in, in place. So I'm assuming yeah. that the same types of procedures would be put in place look, for something like this. Look, in, in government already at state and Commonwealth level, we have bodies that are statutory bodies that are independent of government, like the Office of the Inspector of Custodial Services spends their whole their whole reason for being is to criticise the government um, and how they're running it the prisons. Sounds like a kind of fun right? job. <laughs> and so they say things the government hates all the time, but they're there independently and they're independently governed and they have, you know, their rights and whatever. I think the voice can be something similar and society isn't going to crumble, you know. No. It's just it, it can only really improve things. May, yeah. Maybe things will stay the same, who knows, but I, it certainly isn't going to make anything worse, let's be honest. Yeah, and I think behind all of this there's a, um economic uh, value. Yeah. Because yeah. what they're really frightened about is that is, does that mean Aboriginal people are going to get more control over their lands right? and start to be able to question, how dare you question me if I want to go in and I want to dig a huge hole and look for minerals or I want to yeah. blow up this. They say that, um, oh, no, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. But you know what, really? Yeah. No. It should have been prevented. That's no, it. there's, yeah, and look, there are certain mining entrepreneurs that... <laughs> Um, have made a living out of pitting Aboriginal groups against each other as well. Oh, for, definitely. For well, that's benefit. the way it works, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. You get people competing against each other. I mean, that's the way the whole system works. Yeah. And um, the very arguments that they use against us, you've just 
quoted a few examples where it's already happening. You know, yeah. like they do have independent bodies. So what? I remember, when, you know, many years ago when I first moved to Perth, and um, you know, I live in the southern suburbs, and there was a the, the local Aboriginal community in that area wanted to um, establish a Aboriginal club, mm-hmm. mm? and the there was someone in the community going around putting really racist material in the letterbox. And when I looked at, got, went to my letterbox one day, there was this pamphlet saying, you know, Aboriginal people are going to move in here, all the drug addicts, the alcoholics, you know, it's going to upset the whole community, you know, we're going to lose a peace and quiet, you know, we're just going to be overrun with all these Aboriginal people. And I thought, oh, my God, really? But the whole argument was, you know, we can't have an Aboriginal club. Why should they have an Aboriginal club? And I thought, well, because we have Italian clubs. We have Greek clubs, Mm -hmm. we have Muslims, we have a whole range, but Aboriginal people aren't allowed to have a club. And already you could see the thinking around, you know, we are really sequestered and treated differently. We're not allowed to have all these other things which other groups have. And, you know, yeah, things may have changed, but not a lot has changed. So the way in which we're being treated differently and referred to as different, um, yeah, so, you know... Your question, I think Indigenous, non-Indigenous people, um, if they've got any type of moral compass, if they know what's right and what's wrong, and they've had uh, issues with the way that Aboriginal people have been treated in deaths in custody, have been treated um, in relation to hospital, where, you know, we know in Queensland... The number of young people that have died from rheumatic heart disease, which could have been preventable, but the hospital mm. didn't act, and I'm not having a go at the medical system. I'm just saying that um, some of the systemic structures, whether they do it knowingly mm. or unknowingly, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, my my belief is that over time, this will start to change the way in which these sorts of things keep happening. Mm. And that uh, Aboriginal people, not that they'll have the power to tell whitefellas what to do, but it's around starting to make decisions and influence the government around how they need to act in the interests of Aboriginal people that is going to benefit and close the gap Mm. in relation to our health disadvantage, Mm. our education disadvantage, all of the areas where the gap we know at the moment is not working. Mm. It's a way to work together. Yeah. 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 Thanks very much for your time, Dawn. It's great yeah, that you're prepared it. to talk about this issue. And I know it's a, a bit of a um, lightning rod issue for a lot of people in the Aboriginal community and a lot of people are copying a lot of abuse, you know, for speaking up and whatever. But it's really great that, that you're able to put that perspective across. And, yeah, we yeah. really appreciate it. It's yeah. yeah, it's hard to get people to voice an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they're scared. And I used they're to be scared, one of yeah. those people. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it comes with old age. <laughs> or it comes with age, you know. When you get to to my age, you sort of like, you know. Yeah. You don't worry about whether you're liked or not. Mm. It's about, you know, it is what it is. This is the truth, and I've been around for too long. And I used to wonder when I used to watch when I was young, you know, in my thirties and forties, and I'd see some of the older Aboriginal people, and I'd think, gee, they're really mad. <laughs> why are they so wild? And now I think, my God, I've become one of them. Yeah. I can see why they're so wild. Yeah. yeah, because they just, you know, how much longer are they going to keep talking about this stuff? Yeah, and now so it's time to act. Yeah, it's time, yeah, to, it's act. time to act. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. I'll be yeah, interested to listen to the podcast. I hope I haven't um, embarrassed myself. <laughs> no, not at all. It's been not great. At all. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much.
And that was a conversation with Professor Dawn Bessereb. Oh, she's great. Yeah. yeah such a talker. I love it. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's so good to hear all, all, all the different thoughts and how um, kind of the, the perspective that she takes is really based on history as yeah. well and all the things that she's experienced. Um, yeah, very, very fascinating person. Yeah, I think so. And uh, clearly has a lot of energy yeah. around, uh, particularly around this issue. Um, and also just a... I think a really reasonable and balanced sort of perspective on mm. how you know Aboriginal and Indigenous people have been treated over yeah. the, over the centuries, um, and then what can be done about it. Yeah, you know, and I think I I just think it's pretty hard. It's very persuasive. It you is know, what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think one of the things that kind of was brought to my attention, which is such a common. Uh, solution, I guess, in, in health is this idea of a multidisciplinary approach. Mm-hmm. And what Dawn was saying about getting all of the different experts from the different Indigenous groups, you know, you get a hunter, um, you get someone who understands the admin side of it, you get like all those people mm. involved it's a multidisciplinary approach. Yeah. Um, and uh, they've been doing it for years and we've only just discovered it in terms of health of um, right. uh, of Australians and, and white Australians. It's just, oh, we just could learn so much. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that the one thing that's a, that is a barrier to, to that approach happening is for people to, to admit that they don't know everything. Oh, I've and never And that other people that. may know better than them. Yeah. You know, on certain topics or certain things. That, 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 you know, that's not your strength, that's their strength. Yeah. You know, but they can actually help you. You're right. And you can help them. Yeah, you know. people like to have ownership over what, what they they know and what they're experts yeah. in. But really, yeah. none of us know anything. There's really nothing. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to stop anyone holding their hands up and saying, I can't really comment on that because that's not, not not in my area of expertise. And yeah. Please, t- please educate me, yeah. you know. Yeah, but it's a hard thing for us to do in society. We, oh, crazy. Pe- people want to think that their opinions, matter. you know, matter and are correct. And, <laughs> and correct, yeah. Yeah. I but, don't know. I've never, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm always way more willing to say I don't know about something than I do know. Um, I think I've but, become that way more over yeah. the years. And I think it's a product of maybe doing a bit more education. Yeah, I think that so. You, you realise how much you don't know. As you, as you learn more, you realise how much you still have to learn. Yeah. Whereas if you haven't gone through that process ignorance is bliss and, yeah. you, and you think well yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty up to speed on yeah, all this stuff, right, this and stuff yeah. Like, yeah as soon as you start delving into it you realize that no, just, just as dawn was, was talking exactly. about there with some of the classes where there's overseas students talking yeah. about racism from their perspective and, and she was sort of saying by my by her own admission it didn't really cross her mind that they'd be experiencing racism but of course they are you know because yeah. they're in australia and they're not white so mm, absolutely yeah so interesting yeah how how do you feel because like uh, like i'm a white female right so yeah. like I've not experienced racism. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I've probably unknowingly been racist at points. Sure. Um, I'm sure we all have. Yeah. yeah, but as a female, I've experienced sexism. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, as a white male, mm-hmm. how do you kind of recognise that, I don't know, Yeah. it's, it's you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think... So, and I think that's a I terrible think, question phrasing, but still, no, I think <laughs> you know what, what I'm trying what, to say. What you're saying is, um, as a white male, yeah, and a member of a certain 
class of people who yeah. ha- who traditionally have had a disproportionate amount of control yeah. over the whole whole of society. How do we recognise that and yeah. what are we you doing about it essentially? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I sort of go back a little bit to my upbringing. Mm. So I you know come from a I guess a traditional family. I had a mum and I've got a mum and a dad yeah. um, and siblings. Uh, my dad was away for a lot of time. He worked overseas for long periods of time. He's yeah. originally from Africa. And so I was probably raised more by my mum than my dad. <clears throat> and so I, <clears throat> I think I was – the benefit of that yeah. was that I probably got a, a female's perspective more often growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and – that I mean, I went to an all boys school, which yeah. probably counterbalanced <laughs> counter- that a little bit. Um, but I think I was acutely aware once I'd yeah. left school as to the sort of toxic masculinity and stuff mm. that gets that can be engendered in in single sex schools and and stuff like that, particularly ma- like male schools. And so, yeah, one, once I'd lived in Europe for a little while, I sort of really understood that you know. Yeah, just the, the, a, a white male perspective on things is mm. very a very narrow perspective, yeah. and that um, there's great benefit in you know Dawn was mentioning Norwegians there yeah. and, the, and their things. Oh, that so, was so interesting. Yeah, so there's great benefit in a real diverse range of voices and experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other parts of the world that do things better than us on some things you know we have to admit that and see if we can learn from that absolutely and i guess yeah like as you know i'm i'm very white australian um my family's been in australia for a a number of years and i'm pretty sure that there is some background of like the early australians coming over here in my family Mm -hmm. and um it's yeah it's always been something i'm acutely aware of is like I automatically just have this privilege, which yeah. is crazy to me. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, even if you don't realise it, you probably should be aware of. Yeah, no, I think yeah. so. And I think that sort of was the point at the start of this yeah. podcast where we sort of have to admit where what what our views and stuff yeah. are up front mm-hmm. and potentially they may they may be we may be convinced to change those views by evidence or yeah opinions or um other people's experience you know yeah so yeah but it's a really good conversation um i think it's probably an episode for a future podcast talking about that uh, it'd be so it'd be interesting to yeah, get get someone on who's studied uh either like white privilege or Toxic masculinity yeah. or that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, the whole one. yeah, like the conversations around feminism. Yeah. Um, I mean, even now the the gender diversity um, kind of aspect mm. to people, you know, who don't come from a cisgender background, you mm-hmm. know, people from the trans community or you know, people who are gay or lesbian or whatever. Um, you know, the, the way they the way they see the world and, mm-hmm. and the way they might view someone who's not from their community mm-hmm. um, and how we view their community, etc. Yeah. Just, yeah, there's just so many different voices now. Um, and I think we're, in Australia, things are getting better in that we are embracing that a bit more and yep. hopefully being a bit more sensitive about it. Yep. Um, and, and, and hopefully involving more of those voices in decision-making and planning and, yeah, exactly. you know, how, how things are run. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think it's done well in other parts of the world. So, yeah, hopefully we're, we're on the right track. Hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, with this with this vote, we do get on the is, right track. This is sort of like a good Starting example of how we can empower 
people, you know, for want of a better term, I don't really like the term, but people from a minority group yeah. mm-hmm. um, and minority just because numerically they're in the minority, yeah. not <laughs> for any other reason. Yeah. But yeah, how we can empower people who have a very strong and old established culture mm. to be able to practice their culture and yeah. probably to, to our benefit, you know, they know Absolutely. how to, they know how to look after this country better than we do, Absolutely. clearly, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Yep. That's enough of a ramble. Yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so if people want to provide feedback on this, um, you know, very kind and gentle feedback, how do they (laughs) get in touch? Or not. They're allowed to give us uh, (laughs) their aggressive opinions. Um, But you're more than welcome to contact us. Uh, You can email us, meaningofhealth at outlook.com. You can contact us on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at Health Means What. Uh, We have Instagram, we have Facebook. You can talk to us on there and we welcome any any conversations. We'd love to talk to you guys. Yeah, excellent. That's great. And, uh, yeah, uh, all that leaves us to say thanks, Courtney. And thanks, Craig. And we'll be back with another episode soon and we may even have another one on The Voice at some stage. Hopefully. Yeah. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the Education Enhancement Unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming.